Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from the UK, my guest is a songwriter, producer, and performer based in Wales who has been referred to by BBC Radio 1 as Warped Genius. He is also the owner of Conic Records and is in the band Kaishira. He has written and produced three Kaishira albums and three solo albums. He has performed hundreds of shows in many different countries. His latest solo album was a top 50 bestseller on Amazon. You've been hearing a song of his entitled Misfits. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, James Kennedy. Hey Bruce, how you doing? Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, hi James. It's nice to quote unquote meet you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I'm looking forward to it. Listeners, we do like to keep an international flavor to this show. I believe we're up to nine different countries where we've had guests on from. So if you're just joining us for the first time, thank you. And I certainly hope you will check out other episodes of NHTE. James is not the first UK guest we've had. Back on episode 192, the guest was Oliver Sean, a singer, songwriter, guitar player, and former MTV VJ based in England. Episode 128, Tony Clark, another singer, songwriter, guitar player from the UK. Anyhow, just drop us an email if you want a list of specific regions that guests have been on from or even certain genres of music. James, let's have you start off this episode of NHTE by telling the listeners about the song of yours that was just playing called Misfits. Well, Misfits has become the name of my fan base. If you look on my Twitter page, you'll see uh, a gorgeous group of people there from all over the world who refer to themselves with the hashtag Misfits. And uh, the song is kind of like my song to them, I suppose, um, because we're like a global little family, little community of, uh, of people, a dysfunctional family, if you will, but uh, a family nonetheless. Um, so uh, so that, that's kind of our soundtrack. But does that mean that you actually sat down to write that song with that group in mind? Not necessarily. It's kind of turned into that. I mean, the sentiments in the song equally apply to uh, My Gorgeous Misfits. But um, the song was actually written for um, somebody in particular, somebody real in my life, um, obviously, who shall remain nameless for the uh, purposes of... uh, Yeah, but because (laughs) I was talking over it during the intro, go ahead and tell the listeners, you know, what the song, what the message of the song is, since they couldn't hear it nice and clearly, like like we would have liked uh, during my intro. Well, the, the lyrics are obviously, your listeners probably couldn't hear the lyrics too well um, on the intro, but uh, the lyrics are fairly self-explanatory. It's sort of just like my um, expressing my honest, heartfelt sentiments to my personal love interest. Um, and the, the the reference to misfits, obviously, is um, because I try and make everything that I express in a song as true to real life as possible. I, I try not to sugarcoat things and make out that... Um, you know, we're all living some kind of fantasy world reality <laughs> when in actual fact, there's plenty to celebrate about uh, the dysfunctionalness of uh, of everyday relationships. So I kind of like Misfits. The line says, um, 
me and you are misfits, but we fit each other perfect. Um, so I'm basically oh, trying to okay. say that even though we have our ups and downs and we're not perfect as people, you know, we kind of, we don't fit anything else. We're misfits, but we fit each other pretty good. I like that. That's a nice hook. But just uh, explain to me, James, so I, I, I guess I take things rather literally. When you say that you try to write things, I don't remember what the exact words that you said, but it was basically, you know, in reality. Uh, yeah. What about songs, though, that because obviously, you know, you've written so many songs in your career, you you can't write every single song based on a real life event. At some point, you're just going to get an idea for a song. Uh, like a couple weeks ago, the guest was Joshua Rich, and he was saying he was spray painting patio furniture, and he ended up writing a song called Talking to mm-hmm. Furniture. So that's <laughs> kind of an abstract idea. Do you write those types of songs? I can't imagine every single thing you do is based on an actual James Kennedy life experience. No, that's a great question, and you're absolutely right. I've yet to write one about talking to furniture, but um, you know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but um, most of the, I mean, the album that Misfits is from is my current solo album, which is called Home. Um, and anyone that knows the backstory to that album, uh, I, I did a video on YouTube basically where I play the album and I talk through and explain the backstory to each of the songs. Um, that album in particular. Um, is every song on that album is all about direct personal experiences that I was going through at the time that I was mm. writing it. Wow. Um, so Misfits obviously fits into that. But that's just that album. Uh, on my other albums, the, the Kashira albums, um, are all to do with uh, real-life events, not necessarily related to myself, but very topical issues to do with you know politics or okay. um, religion or you know quite kind of heavy heavy topics because we were quite a heavy band. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or dare I say other experiences that you see other people going through but not yourself exactly yeah okay. yeah i mean okay. uh, it's interesting that that at the time i was making the kashira records i i purposely wanted to keep my own um life fairly private and i wanted to use the band's platform to to sort of shine a light on some issues that um were, were important to me around the world like poverty and injustice and things like that um and then it's interesting that now i'm writing more, like completely openly and honestly about my own personal experiences. <laughs> You're an open book all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> you, you went from being a locked diary to being an open book. How's totally. that? <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. And, and do you know what? It's, it's, it's so interesting because um, uh, so much of the backstory of home was actually not entirely positive. I was going through um, quite a low point in my life. And um, I, I the, the, the album wasn't really even intended to be written. I was supposed to be sort of taking a break from music mm. and things and sort of get my personal life into in order. Uh, and the album just ended up being a kind of an intentional journal of how I was feeling. And it's interesting because um, out of all the songs I've written, they're the ones that more most people have related to because uh, so many people wow. are feeling wow. those things. Yeah, because it is um, so personal. Yeah, the, exactly. The curse of being a songwriter, right? You're trying to take a break and <laughs> journaling about it. what you're going through and turns into this. That's it. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's like it's, it's kind of become the only form of expression that I that I sort of know now. It just kind of happens naturally. It's like an extension, you know. Well, I mentioned in the intro that this album that you're talking about was a top 50 bestseller on Amazon. Congratulations on that. But I wonder, and and this will be a teaching moment for those of you who listen to the show each week to learn from my guests. James, you have a great social media following, but to what do you attribute having been able to achieve that kind of success? Because as we all know, there is an absolute ton of music on Amazon. So it's certainly not a case of 
get your music on Amazon and it'll sell well. You know, the old build it and they will come theory. How, how did you get top 50 bestseller status? In all honesty, I, I don't really know. Um, I mean, I am very active on social media and I'm mm-hmm. sure that played the bulk of the part. Um, but I, I, I've never had an album sort of do that well on the day of its release because it hit top 50 the day it came out. And I, wow. I, did, I wasn't even aware. I was kind of like looking at the reviews that were coming in and it happened to catch my eye that it was standing at um, wow. something like position 26 or something. Um, so I immediately took a screen grab for posterity. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't even tend to consider those types of things because... Um, you know, I'm an independent artist releasing on my own label and I make my living this way. I do I do well. I don't have a day job or anything. Um, but, you know, I would never I never really check chart ratings or anything like that because that's not a world that I'm really in. So in all honesty, yeah, I mean, I guess I could attribute it to uh, my, my lovely misfits once again, being so supportive and there pre-ordering the record. There you, you know. go. So Amazon, you know, I'm thinking of Reverb Nation who will email an artist and say, congratulations, you're in the top 40 uh, usually it's you know within their region within their genre but amazon never emailed you you just happened upon this on your own that's it yeah <laughs> wow wow yeah some, sometimes that happens you work so hard trying to promote something you know and you think you, know, you, you 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 bust your butt to try and you know promote things and do shows and interviews and then you know it's, it's those times when you're not even looking or paying and playing any effort that uh you know you get your you get your, your your most surprise moments. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Over the five years from your 2012 release nine IP to your 2017 release that we're discussing called Home, what did you learn that maybe you wish you would have known back then, or or might have done differently, or perhaps because things evolve so rapidly now in this technology age, maybe there's something that just flat out wasn't available in its current form back in 2012. Yeah, uh, and again, that's another great question. Um, I think back then, um, the band and myself were still very much, we still have one foot in the old traditional model of doing a music release. So we would hire mm. a PR company and try and get some print press reviews and, and things like that and try and get some ra- uh, like radio support and stuff. Um, I think on the new record, and certainly the last Kaishiwa record, we have completely abandoned that model and we just focused exclusively on direct to fan relationships um and I, that seems to be proven to, to be bearing the best results for us um you know we are an interactive band, and i do a lot of different things um as an artist as well as a solo artist you know i do like uh, chat videos and i do seminars and talks and articles and things so uh, I, i'm a very multimedia artist and, and so is the band that i'm in so uh, okay. we kind of just embrace that and just kind of um, put it directly out on our platforms now as, as, as much as we can. Yeah, but I like that you just mentioned a lot of those different avenues that you've taken, a lot of those different hats that you've worn, because what we don't want is for someone listening to this who is an up-and-coming artist to say, well, James said that if you just work social media awfully hard, then people will find you and your music and buy it. And it's like, well, that's part of it, but you know, you got to get yourself physically. I mean, in your case, like you said, out doing seminars and talks and you know, physically out there doing something other than sitting at your computer posting on social media or you you know, going totally, out and yeah. playing live shows. 
you're totally right. I mean, we have done hundreds and hundreds of shows. We've toured Europe. We've been to Canada several times. Um, we've spent lots and lots of money. We've broken down on the M4 on the motorway, you know, at five in the morning <laughs> on a Monday night. All that stuff, you know, you kind of got to pay your dues as well. Otherwise, nobody will take you seriously. I mean, you can post as many videos on YouTube as you want as a, as a musical artist. But, I mean, you know, I, I think it it doesn't really take very long before people can see whether you've earned your stripes or not, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we do all that stuff. And I think with social media, it's kind of not as simple as a lot of musicians think. I think they think, they, you know, they just set up a, an event page on Facebook, you know, for a gig, invite their mates to it, and, and it's going to take off like wildfire. But it really doesn't. There's a bit more of an art to it than that. And you've got you to work social media just as hard and just as artistically and as craftfully as you would um, your live show or, or your, your songwriting. Yeah, and as I mentioned, as a Bruce's bonus, way, way, way back when, I don't know the episode, but the other mistake that artists make is they put something up as a Facebook event, and then they invite people who are literally hundreds of miles away. I've been invited <laughs> to someone's performance that's in New York, and I'm going, do you know that yeah. I'm in Florida? Why do I care about this? Yeah. So, you know, it's rather yeah. ignorant. I'll, I'll call it like I see it. It's rather ignorant yeah. to, to do that and and not make someone feel like you're just blasting this to anyone and you're just you know, trying to cast a wider net. And it's like, look, let's be realistic yeah. here. Yeah, I think it's lazy. They just invite everybody, you know, who's on their friends list or something like that. And then they, they think that their promo for the gig is done. But, you know, what they don't understand is that 15 million other bands are also doing that at the exact same time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like social social media is like any kind of relationship. It's 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 a two-way dialogue, you know? Yeah, I try and make yeah. my posts as regular as I can. I try and be as personal and as honest and as open as I can. And um, and you can't just keep ramming your content down people's throat because people switch off to it, you know? Yeah. I mentioned in the intro that BBC Radio 1 referred to you as Warped Genius. To me, just like getting top 50 bestseller status on Amazon, that's another huge feather in your cap, getting noticed by a high-profile media outlet such as BBC Radio 1. But Tell me, James, how, how does that happen? Did they notice you? Did they find you in your music? Or were you pitching them to, to play your music and or to interview you? Again, that was another one of those things. I mean, some of my biggest accolades have actually come from me not doing a lot. That was just one of the <laughs> kind of... <laughs> I think that there's a, a local um, presenter um, called Hugh Stevens, um, who's from Wales, from Cardiff, but he's now like a really, really big presenter on Radio 1 and he does the international stuff and the festivals and things like that. Uh, he was quite an early supporter of the band Kashira when we were really, really wacky and alternative and experimental. Um, and he came to some of our shows and played um, some of our songs on on his show and everything. Um, so that came from that sort of era, really. And I think had it not been for the fact that one of Radio 1's biggest presenters was actually from my hometown, mm. um, we probably wouldn't have got that. So that was one of those luck things again, I think. Yeah, but but you'll take it in any way you can get it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you sound a lot like me because I used to go and speak to college classes and I would kind of look at, at the professor like, you're not going to like what I'm about to say because you brought me in as a guest speaker. And then I would tell kids, look, I'm a bad example. It, it doesn't normally happen this way. And then I would go on to tell them a story about how you know, I was an intern and as soon as I graduated, I was offered a full-time job and I would say like, yeah. it doesn't happen that way. And so here yeah. you are, same story. It's like, well, Bruce, I, you know, I'd love to have this great story for you about how I got top 50 bestseller or how I got noticed by BBC Radio 1, but 
I didn't do anything. <laughs> and also the, the other side to that as well, which is relevant to what you just said, is that we, are, we don't really promote our failures. I mean, people know about me being on Radio 1. They know about me getting a top 50 because obviously I, 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 I brag about it. But they don't, what they don't realize is that immediately after getting on Radio 1, you know, we had two years of absolute <laughs> drudgery mm. <laughs> and grind, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those moments of success, as good as they are, they, they do come and go. You know, and, and you you got to be ready to weather the storm for those long periods where you don't get anything back, you know. Yeah, good for you. I, I, I admire you for, for bringing that up. Listeners, isn't technology great that, that I can sit here in Florida and talk to James, who's all the way in Wales, and record our conversation with a sound as though we're sitting across from each other? This is great. <laughs> I am able to do it because of Tascam, whose gear I highly recommend you check out. There's a long list of Tascam users, some who I've even found out about during interviews like this one. Two weeks ago, you heard Joshua Rich give Tascam props. And two weeks before that, on episode 205, Roy Orbison Jr. started storytelling about the old days of him and even his dad, Roy Orbison, using Tascam equipment. I feel like when I start giving out a list like headphones, microphones, audio interfaces, recorders, players, audio for video, that it just doesn't do justice to the many audio solutions they have. Go to Tascam.com and check it all out. They are worldwide and can provide you with what you need, whether you're a home hobbyist, a touring music professional, or in my case, even a podcaster. James, on a related note, you list clear tone guitar strings and the little computer shop on your website. Are you someone (laughs) who actively pursues endorsement deals or are those two just isolated cases? Uh, well, the little computer shop is my dad's shop, oh. so I've got to uh, I've got to give that a plug. There you go. <laughs> not not that he's going to uh, be able to service any people listening to this show, probably <laughs> um, in his shop in South Wales. Um, but clear tone strings, yeah, I've got a great endorsement with those guys, and um, I've been using the strings for years, and I, yeah, they're, they're amazing. I've got quite a few endorsements, but they're the ones that I clear tone are the ones that I actively uh, sort of acknowledge. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, do you make that part of your, uh, you were saying before about, you know, the different hats that you wear and and that you don't have a day job. So is, is pursuing endorsements something that is somewhere on that list or does it kind of depend on, you know, what day of the week it is? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the downside to juggling so many different jobs like I do is that you can tend to spread yourself a little too thinly sometimes uh, across all those different areas. Um, so I've certain tasks or certain roles do take priority at different times. So if we're touring, I tend to uh, drop the ball with my emails, for example. Mm. Um, and, and like the endorsement things, I, I think if we've got a tour or a release coming up, we tend to... Um, get a lot of endorsement offers and things because people know the band's going to get a lot of promo and things. Um, but then, it, you know, with that, it goes quiet on that front then for another period. But we tend to don't really notice that because we're too busy focusing on something else. You know, it kind of uh, the priority and the focus shifts quite rapidly. Well, but let's let's focus on one one thing you just said there, which is that, you know, you're touring and more people find out and all of a sudden you start getting offers for endorsement deals, because I know there's someone listening right now who's an up and comer that's saying, boy, I wish I had one or more endorsement deals coming into me instead of having to go out and knock on doors. How do you how do you decide which ones you want and which ones you don't want? Because the knee jerk reaction would be take them all. Yeah, well, I suppose you can't take up. You have to depend. I mean, these companies take their brand and their product seriously as well. So, I mean, 
again, it's coming back to that thing about spreading yourself too thinly. It's, it's better to have a good relationship with a few companies that create a product that you actually will use and don't mind using and don't mind um, telling other people about. Um, that for, for me, anyway, I'm, I'm more comfortable with that rather than just taking endorsements for the sake of it. Um, I can't sort of passionately back something convincingly enough if I don't actually use it and, and enjoy using it. Yeah, I would like to think that the company would respect you when you tell them, you know, I'm flattered and, and I checked out your product, but I'm, I'm going to have to pass. It's not a fit for the for me. I, I would think that they'd say, wow, I thought the guy would jump at it. But hey, you know what, James? Appreciate your honesty. Yeah, and that has happened in the past, especially with strings and things like that. So, um, And that's why I'm sort of quite committed to Cleotone because I do really enjoy their strings. Um, but I mean, you know, and, and you know, the, the beauty of business is it's not personal. I mean, if that relationship was to change in the future, if something different came along, um, you know, they've got lots of other uh, artists and things <laughs> that they work with. So, you know. <laughs> Them and James Kennedy going a separate way isn't isn't going to shut down Cleotone guitar strings, exactly. is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I should have brought this up before when we were talking about getting into the top 50 bestsellers on Amazon or, or or even when I asked you what's different now from five years ago. But since you have mentioned a couple times that Misfits is kind of the nickname that you give to your Twitter following, I've alluded to the fact that you have a good social media following in general. But, wow, Twitter in particular, you are at 137,000 followers. W- what are these Twinter views that you do. What are those? The Twinter views is uh, when my following was a lot smaller, I used to be able to engage um, directly with people on direct messenger and things like that. But obviously, it's just got to such a scale now on all my um, platforms that that is unfortunately pretty much impossible. Um, which is a shame, you know, because that was part of the um, the community and everything that's built things to where they are for me. Um, so I really do respect all my fans, and I don't want to sort of make them feel that like hey we used to have more of a involved relationship but uh now that my following is so big i don't need you guys so i, I kind of miss having that direct uh, relationship so i do a twin interview video um every now and then as and when i can where basically i ask my twitter followers to tweet me things that they'd like to talk about and i try and make it um like an actual conversation you know so i answer their questions directly to them on a video and i sort of um mash them all into one big video and, and release it as a twin interview i don't get to do them as much as i'd like to um which is a shame but i think that's quite fun and then people get to sort of you know hear their question answered by me personally on video rather than uh you know in text form mm-hmm. yeah rather than just tweeting them back do you say the person's name and you know where they're from or something like that yeah, we put up a screen grab of the tweet and everything, and they put a handle on the screen so people can see who's done it and everything. And uh, a lot of them I know, you know, from um, from back in the day or whatever. So I give them a shout out and stuff like that. So yeah, hopefully, yeah. it's uh, it's a nice thing for people to uh, to engage in. And what platform do you use to distribute the video? Does that go up on Twitter also, or does that go on YouTube, or both, or or what? Uh, I do everything on YouTube, and I just embed it then in my Facebook and my Twitter page. Okay. Okay. And 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 again, this is. I'm, I'm going to take an educated guess here that this is probably you making, and I'm talking about like sitting down at the computer and editing the video yourself because it sounds like you do everything all on your own. Am I right, or does someone do the video for you? Um, a little bit of the two. It depends really on uh, the time and the place and what else is going on at the time. But I am able to do them myself, and a lot of them I, I have done myself. I didn't used to edit. I tried to make everything as natural as possible so yeah. there was no, um, you know, kind of like like me sort of self-censoring or anything. It was like a natural conversation. But I, I, 
I ramble and digress so much, <laughs> and, and the quantity of questions was was coming in uh, a lot denser than it used to. So the videos were getting quite long, which I know is quite boring for people. So I do edit now. I try and chop it down so that I just get straight to the point. <laughs> yeah, something that you intended to be twenty minutes long is all of a sudden an hour and twenty minutes long, and you're That's saying, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> "Great if you're in the pub having a pint with somebody, but you know, if it's if you're trying to answer <laughs> questions in a video and everyone's waiting for their question, <laughs> it's a bit boring." Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is, if you aren't already doing so, make sure you check your spam and or junk folder pretty much regularly. You never know what opportunities might be getting missed just because a first-time sender that you don't know is writing to you. Someone who is a guest on this show said that my initial email requesting an interview went to their junk folder, which is why it was a week before I got a response. Others might be more time-sensitive, and it could be too late if you don't see it in a timely fashion. As painful as it might be to sift through the nonsense, do pay attention to what's going into spam or junk that you do want to see. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show. To make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format, there is a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40, 41 to 80, and 81 to 120, respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. James, we've been talking about your solo work, but Tell the listeners about the band Kaishira, who I mentioned back in the intro. You've mentioned their name once or twice. You've written and produced three Kaishira albums and play guitar in that band. Tell us more. Well, Kaishira, yeah, we're all from Cardiff, South Wales. We're currently um, on hiatus at the moment. We're taking a bit of a break from our um, three-album um, cycle that we did. Um, after our last album, Circle, came out, I think 2015, that was, I think. We did a headline tour of the U.K., um, we did a 10 country summer tour of Europe and came back to a sold out show uh, in the UK after that. And we decided that that was a pretty good time to sort of put the brakes on for a bit and take a bit of a break. Um, and it was at that point that I was supposed to be spending a bit of time on myself uh, on a personal level. Mm. And I ended up writing my solo album, which I mentioned earlier. Um, so that's kind of where the band has been since. We're all doing different musical projects and things like that um, just for pleasure at the moment. Um we will definitely be back maybe this year or next year, depending on how things go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a kind of a heavy alternative band. We were very experimental on our first two records. And as I mentioned earlier, very topical as well with the lyrical content and things. Um, it got a little bit more melodic <laughs> and a bit more song orientated <laughs> on our last album, Circle, that came out, uh, which is kind of a an alternative rock opera as such because it's a story uh, involving different characters and uh, um, the journey of, of a central character's life throughout the record. 
and who else is in the band and, and what are their respective roles? And then also the question I asked, I, I wish I could remember who this was because I asked it to a guest and they were kind of thrown, but they laughed at the same time. Is it considered your band? Uh, well, in the band is uh, Matt War on bass guitar and back and vocals and Glenn Bateman on drums and electronics. And the, <laughs> the question I'm going to laugh as well, the question as to whose band it is, is uh, it's, it's a difficult one to answer because obviously I do write the songs and produce the records and I'm the singer. So it kind of does look <laughs> that like, it's my band and I'm the, I'm the guy running everything. But I mean, as with any band, that that can never really be the case. I mean, the band is the band. Everybody brings their own personality and their own uh, stamp to the sound and the live show. And, uh, you know, it, without those guys, I'd just be sat in a studio with a laptop, you know, so I wouldn't have a record or a live mm. show. So everybody brings, you know, I, I sort of bring the songs in their shell format to the band and then Glenn and Matt turn it into Kashira, you know. Well, and I don't want to sound like, you know, 16-year-old girls, but I'm just picturing you saying, Guys, we're going to take a hiatus for a while. I, I just really need some personal time. And them going, no, we we don't want to take a hiatus. We want to continue playing. And you go, well, it's my band, and I say we're taking a hiatus. <laughs> so that's you know that's that's kind of what I'm thinking of when you know if if somebody says, well, why does it matter whose band it is? Well, because at some point it might come to it. But you know, I always refer to Rush on this show. They're my all-time favorite band, and and I always say the beauty of having an odd number of people in a band is that there's never a tie vote. So you can say we're taking a hiatus if the other two guys say, no, we're not. Well, you're outvoted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're all really good friends as well. Um, we've been playing together for years. And, you know, when you tour, you, you're kind of each other's family as well. You kind of all each other's got through the highs and the lows. So um, that strengthens your bond. So when I kind of said to the guys, look, you know, we've got nothing coming up. We haven't got an album coming out. We just, you know, went out triumphantly on a great tour. Uh, I personally would like to, take a bit of downtime now they were very supportive of that and understood um so it kind of went that way really it was me that kind of suggested taking a break um but i think the guys were kind of okay with it as well very good very good well besides just feeding creativity and allowing for a different outlet a different form of expression what other benefits are there for an artist to have both a solo career and be in a band why should someone do both instead of just staying solo Hmm. Well, for me, it's just because my artistic interests are so broad. I mean, my first solo album, Nine IP, which you mentioned earlier, is a very, very experimental, instrumental, electronic album. Um, it's got songs on there just made out of white noise and all sorts of dissonance. And <laughs> it's it's a very, very unpleasant listen. <laughs> but um, I, I released that as a solo album. Uh, I, I wasn't sort of intending on having a solo career at that time. I was very much 100% in Kashira, but I had a, a broad interest for a long time in electronic music. So I wanted to just release 9IP as a side project um, alongside the band's activities. So that kind of started it, really. Um, I started with my second solo album, The National Health Service. I had a bunch of songs uh, which didn't really fit the Kaishira kind of sound, really. There was no place for them within our kind of um, uh, catalog. Mm -hmm. But I, there were still songs that I was kind of proud of and I thought were good. So I, I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll just chuck them out as, a, as another side project album. And before you know it, I've got two albums as a solo artist, you know. So it kind of just happened naturally, really. I mean, that's the benefit of having your own label and, and you're running your own sort of uh, distribution. Everything is that you can just put out whatever you want, when you want, how you want. Well, the consideration that 
I'm thinking about right now is someone saying, well, I don't want to join a band because when you join a band, you have to deal with egos, you have to deal with other people's schedules, you have to split the money. I'm better off just staying solo. Do you agree with that? Or or is there some benefit that that you would tell that person, no, give it a second thought. Try Try getting into a band also so you're not just doing the solo work. I think it depends on what you want, really. I mean, for me, artistically, I always, my my vision was always way more adventurous than what I could just do by myself on the acoustic guitar. Um, so I had to work with a band, and I and there's nothing better for me personally coming from a rock background of turning the amps up and you know your your best friends. <laughs> blasting a drum kit and having a great time and jumping around on stage and driving around <laughs> and a beaten up man. It's the best, you know? Um, but then, like I say, you know, with my interest in electronic and acoustic music, you know, there's not really any place for that within the band. So gotcha. um, for me, there's pros and cons to both. I mean, when I do the solo stuff and I go out and do acoustic shows on my own, I love it because it's intimate and I get to engage much more intimately with the audience and the fan base. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I'm, I, I do miss that camaraderie and that kind of uh, intensity that comes from a rock and roll show, you know? So, um, and, and conversely relentless touring with a rock and roll band can get you down, you know? So mm-hmm. um, I think it depends on the individual and what they want really. Well, it sounds to me though, that the setup in your particular instance is such that it's also going to be beneficial in that, at a solo James Kennedy show, you can also sell Kaishira music. And at a Kaishira show, you can also sell James Kennedy solo music. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely uh, points that I think it crosses over. I mean, um, some some of the people that have come to me through my solo stuff have discovered the band and become fans of the band and vice versa. Um, so although my sort of catalog is fairly eclectic, there are points at which I think people do cross over. Nice, nice. I'm speaking today with songwriter, producer, and performer James Kennedy, who is checking in on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from the UK. Visit his official website at jameskennedystuff.com. I love that URL. And there are links there to get with him on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. We've been talking about Amazon, but you will also find links there to purchase his music from Bandcamp as well. Also on jameskennedystuff.com, you will find links to go to the band website, which is kaishira.com. That's spelled K-Y-S-H-E-R-A. Keep up with James and the band online to see dates, times, and locations of live performances. Because we have mentioned Amazon so much on this episode, it's fitting that I remind you that one small way that you can help this show is to go to nhte.net and click on the Amazon banner to start any shopping session you're planning through them. It'll take you directly to their website, or it will open the Amazon app depending on your setup. And at zero cost to you, it will result in a very small percentage being given back to us to use for show expenses. James, let's move along to Conic Records, which I mentioned back in the intro. You are the owner of Back on episode 133 of the show, Dylan Addington, a singer, songwriter, guitar player from Colorado, talked about having started his own record label. James, what's your story in terms of when and why did you start Conic Records? And I guess, is it solo James Kennedy as well as Kaishira on there, or do you have other artists too? Well, it's an interesting journey with us because um, we set up our own label. Uh, we um 
for our first record, which came out in 2010. Mm-hmm. And it was just really just to put the record out because, um, you know, we just wanted to get things moving and have a product out there that people can get their hands on and get used to the songs whilst we were out there working the live scene. And it kind of grew from there, really. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, that's the beauty of modern technology is it does allow the artist uh, of any format so much more uh, power and freedom now. Um, you know, we, we, we made that record in my studio, put it out on our little label um, and just made it available to the public, um, you know, through all the download sites and at gigs on CD and stuff. So it kind of started like that just for our own benefit, really. Um but it's kind of grown now. It's a, it's a registered as a publishing company in the UK, and we've got partnership companies uh, pretty much in every country all over the world now, mm. which is great. Wow. Um, we place a lot of music in adverts and TV shows and things like that. Fantastic. Um, so that side of the operation represents about 30 artists from all over the world in different genres. Wow. Um, yeah, and we've worked with like um, Sci-Fi TV in the States, um, Aria Hotel, Las Vegas. We did a, a TV ad campaign oh my gosh, for them. That's tremendous. Congratulations. Uh, wow. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, it's like being in a, in a rock and roll band, you know, we've had like record deals and things and management deals and all these sorts of things. And you, you learn a lot. You, just, you certainly learn what not to do through those relationships. Like, you know, we got ripped off and I had to sue our label and things like that to oh. try and get our money back and stuff. So we kind of got an insight into the mechanics of, of how releases work okay. and how promotion okay. works and stuff through doing that, you know, which which kind of benefited us with, with the label. Wow, wow. Uh, by the way, listeners, I hope you know by this point that anytime I refer to a past episode of NHTE, as I just did there a minute ago, we do put links to those on the show page for each episode to make it easy for you to find and go back and listen to those. So in this case, the page for James Kennedy's episode of NHTE, which is 209, it will have links for those that I've been mentioning, Oliver Sean, Tony Clark, Joshua Rich, Roy Orbison Jr., Dylan Addington, who I just mentioned, uh, James, I guess I should have been plugging Snapchat. You're you're even on there too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on everything. Yeah, I mean, as as you mentioned, I I was wondering as I was getting ready for today's interview, is I, I told myself that this has to be full time for him between his solo work, Kaishira, the record label, all these social media channels that you're on. Yeah, it is full time. I mean, I'm. I, I don't work as hard as like many people though, in, in, in all fairness. I mean, you know, I, I work from home and I get to do what I love for a living. So, uh, things like Snapchat, you know, they're kind of just silly, fun little things. Um, so yeah, it, it is a full-time thing, but then I guess it's a full-time expression of my artistry. So I'm very fortunate to live, uh, the way I see it is that I'm fortunate to live in the generation that has this as an option, you know, um, you know, only, only a few decades ago, if you couldn't get a deal with a major label or something, you know, you were uh, game over. You couldn't make your own record because it was too expensive. So um, I, I do try and utilize these opportunities that we've got. Pretty much my life uh, is, is is my mobile phone. But then similar to the question that I asked about the record label, in the case of, you, you mentioned that with Kaishira, that you recorded your first album there at your studio and you just wanted to get it out, et cetera. But so do you record all Kaishira and solo James Kennedy albums still at your own James Kennedy studio? Do you, and if so, do you record others there as well? Other artists? 
Um, all of the records have pretty much 90% been done at my studio and, and my studio, um, has changed over the years in terms of where it is and things. Um, but we have done bits like on the last Kashiwa record circle, I recorded all of the guitars and, uh, electronic bits and things like that at a different studio with a guy called Jeff Rose, who was amazing. Um, but I did all the vocals at my place and our drummer did all of the drums at his own studio. So it was kind of that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, I would say 90% of our output as a band and me as a solo artist has been done as my own studio. Um, but I, I'm not a big lover of that side of things. I do it just because I can, because I used to work in a recording studio for a few years mm. and I've got the equipment and uh, kind of the know-how to do it. Um, but I don't really enjoy that side of the process, the technical side. So I haven't really done much for other artists in terms of production. I've done sort of like mix engineering and things, but... Um, I try, I try not to, if I can help. <laughs> well, I always forget to ask this question. So since you're talking about it, I'll remember this time. Uh, what are you working on in terms of when you do your music editing? What software are you using? I know there's a lot of, I don't want to call them geeks and I don't want to say gear enthusiasts because it's not gear. It's, it's software, but, uh, tech heads. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, well, I'm really, really old school. Uh, much about the, the equipment that I use makes proper um gear uh, audio files cringe uh, <laughs> i use um cubase audio software and i use a really old version of it as well um but the reason that i do that is because as i mentioned you know i'm not a big lover of um, being hunched over a computer for hours some people love it whereas for <laughs> me I, I don't it's a necessary evil for me so uh, i'm really really fast on uh, the cubase that i use um so i can get around it quick i got all my all my sort of go-to plugins there um so that's what i use um so yeah i'm much more interested in how to get the job done as fast as possible as good as possible rather than being up to date on all the fancy new the new equipment and stuff so yeah so for all the all the proper gear enthusiasts out there they're probably wincing now at the mention of uh, <laughs> yeah but you know at the setup. same time from the category of if it ain't broke don't fix it it sounds to me like you're somebody whose attitude is this is what i've always used so this is what i yeah. know and because i'm not really someone that wants to do this all the time i don't want to upgrade i don't want to change i don't want the latest and the greatest this works for me and i'm going to stick with it as long as it'll hold up <laughs> you've got it that's exactly my philosophy and um and as and when i do need to do to learn something new or to buy something new in order to achieve some new result that's that's at the point that i will learn it or buy it um but yeah you're right unless it ain't broke i, I don't tend to uh, want to fix it <laughs> yeah somebody gave me some advice recently and i believe and i and i i'm sure i'm probably not 100 percent accurate it might have been windows 10 that they were saying but somebody was saying something about use the version that you have don't do the upgrades just ride it out as long as you can because i guess the the knock against and and my apologies to the folks at microsoft if it wasn't windows 10 that this person was telling me about but they were basically saying that you know the knock against the upgrades were it's just not as good as it was so in like you know like we're saying in your case it's like look this is working fine for me so i'm not about to try something new when i really absolutely don't have to and you have other options you have other people you can go to Exactly. Yeah. I mean, my music computer doesn't even have the internet on there because I don't want upgrades and I don't want anything like that. It's working. Uh, it's rock solid. I don't want to change anything. So that's my go-to machine. It's built like a tank. It's, it's worked for years. Um, everything on there is really old, but all the plugins, I've got like valve emulation plugins and things on there and they sound great. Um, I know where everything is and I can just use it. So yeah, I, I'm exactly the same. I don't, <laughs> uh, I don't upgrade or anything like that. 
Let's have a little fun here before we close. There are certain pictures of you, James, where I saw a strong resemblance to actor, and I should say singer, too, because he does sing, Robert Downey Jr. Did, do, <laughs> yeah, do, do you get that? Do, yeah, do people say you look like him? Or, or maybe yeah, like someone I don't else? Know if you've seen, yeah, I don't know if you've seen the picture, but I actually took a picture of me um, with the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man beard um, uh, pulling a kind of pose uh, and I posted <laughs> it on the internet. Um, and a lot of people thought that I was him. I do get that all the time. I was in Toronto, actually, and I asked somebody for a light, and they thought that I was, they were convinced that I was Robert Downey Jr., um, which is not a bad thing, I suppose. It's a compliment. He's an amazing actor um, and a great guy, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> and he sings. He sings. I, I feel like there's more and more video of him popping up nowadays singing. Really? I haven't. Oh, I think I've seen him singing, yeah, and he plays the piano, I think, yeah. So did the person in Toronto ask to get a picture with you, or, or did they finally believe you and walk away well as soon as i opened my mouth and they realized i was british they were like <laughs> oh wow you look really like robert Downey jr <laughs> but um, somebody on the there internet actually put together a pile of um photo comparisons so they've managed to find when i have blonde hair they've managed to find a picture of uh, robert Downey jr with blonde hair and put it next to that it created this whole sequence of stills of whatever i'm wearing they found a version of him wearing it and, and put a, this collection of pictures <laughs> together. So, so yeah, you're not the first person to mention that. <laughs> there you go. Well, RDJ, as I call him, if, if you're listening, um, let's have you on the show so I can ask you if people say, you look like James Kennedy. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, who? No. <laughs> uh, James, we're going to close today with another song of yours, one called Unconditional. Before we let you go, tell the listeners all about this song, please. This song, again, is just a uh, tribute to uh, the, the, the people and the things that we take for granted in life. So much of us are, uh, you know, life life can be hard and we're focused on higher things and ambitions and dreams. And I think so often, uh, myself, certainly, we take for granted, you know, how lucky we are just to have, you know, great parents or friends or family around us. Um, so this song is a very heartfelt, honest um, tribute to my own family and friends who I feel blessed to have around me. Um, and in the video, um, there's a pile of families from um, all of South Wales and my own family are actually in there as well. So all of the families that you see, the different sort of family units in the video are all actually real families whose houses we visited and filmed them in their living room. Um, so yeah, this is about uh, unconditional love. Very good. Very good. Well, James, great talking to you. Thanks for making time for this today and uh, continued best wishes to you, Kaishira, Conic Records, everything that you're doing over there. Thank you so much for having us, Bruce. It's been a blast. Thanks for having us, mate. You bet. It really means a lot to me that you have taken time to listen to this episode as well as hopefully other episodes of NHTE, and it means a lot to me that James took the time to speak with me. Do check out his website, jameskennedystuff.com, and yep, if you're a regular listener, you know what I'm about to say. Engage with him on social media. So that means like his Facebook page, follow him on Twitter and Instagram, subscribe to his YouTube channel, and then watch and like the videos on there. And somewhere in all that, tell him that you heard him and his music, uh, now hear this entertainment. Purchase James Kennedy's solo releases or the Kaishira albums and keep up with both online to see dates, times, and locations of live performances. Again, jameskennedystuff.com. There are links there also to not only buy the music, but to get to the Kaishira website. Again, if you are purchasing anything at all from Amazon, remember that you can help this show in the process by starting at nhte.net and clicking on the tall Amazon banner to either be taken to their website or to have their app open, depending on your setup, 
at no cost to you that will result in a small kickback that will help us keep this show going. In the meantime, I will say farewell until next week. We'll leave you today with another song from James Kennedy. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Unconditional. There's something that I've got to say I know we get caught up in the day by day But it don't need to take a minute or two to remind you That we've been through so much These words just ain't enough It's unconditional And I don't care at all If it's dysfunctional It's unconditional Yes, no.